That's good. Father, your blessing today on our family. I ask that you bless each every heart today, that we would be true family, uh, that we care for one another, minister one another, and love one another the way you've called us to do. We thank you for the opportunity to meet together and worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to, to enjoy uh, praises and sing praises to you and bless you in our doing so. We thank you. Amen. All right. We were talking last week in Romans 9. I'm going to pick up there and uh, kind of finish off a few things with that. Uh, and those of you who were here last week, you remember that we were talking uh, in Romans 9 about how not all of Israel is Israel. Uh, the scriptures are very, very clear that only a remnant of Abraham is truly Israel. And us Gentiles have been uh, grafted on to that remnant. But the scripture said this. It says it was not by children born of the natural means that became Abraham's descendants. It's one children's children born of the promise. And the promise was stated that at a point in time, Sarah would become pregnant and have a child. Now, Abraham tried to hurry that situation up, tried to move in his own timing based on his culture and produce an Ishmael, which we all are very familiar with today. And we're still having that problem from that long ago mistake. Though God forgave and God blessed and that was culturally OK, the consequence of that action is carried out to today. They are bombing, blowing up people all over the place. There'll be a remnant of them that will be saved, too, though, I believe. So in Romans 9, it goes to the thing is that, that it would become very, very clear that it was not a matter of bloodline. It was a matter of promise that you become sons of the living God. It was not a matter of uh, things that you could do. And he goes in and says, it's not by your works that you've done or anything like that. It's by calling. And he makes the point with Rebecca uh, and saying that before... Either one of the twins said a word or did a word or did anything good or bad. God says, the older, or the younger, the older will serve the younger. And he says, I love Jacob and he hate Esau. Oh, excuse me. Flip the names in there. Uh, I, you know, I love uh, Jacob and I, I hate Esau. And that was before they did anything. There was nothing that they had done. Now, that's hard for us to believe. Uh, and understand that without doing anything. A lot of people make the idea that God predestined, uh, and some people will come on the other side. It was what God knew what they were going to do. But that's not what the scripture says there. It says, so that his election and his purpose might stand, he said this. He chose one over the other. So God does not depend upon men's desires, but on God's mercy, purpose, and election. So that's where we said, now, we're picking up now with... Uh, uh, you got slide 18, throw it up there. And I want my reader to read. <laughs> and uh, I want to pick up here and just, and it, it starts off with, why does God blame us? You know, why does this hold us accountable? You got that? Romans 9? Yeah. One of you will say to me, 
then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who, who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery... Whoops. <laughs> some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he has also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. Okay. This is sometimes hard to swallow, but you know, let me tell you this. A potter makes a pot for a purpose in those days, not so much to look at. And there's a purpose that we're made for, and God has the right to do what he wants with us, because he's the one who made us. None of us would have a problem if you made a pot and you didn't like it, you wanted to break it. None of us would have a deal if you fold it back in and make another pot out of it. But God is the master. He is the master potter. He's the master maker, and he has a right to do what he wants. And that's a little difficult for us to see and to understand the balance of that. But that's not really the point of this scripture. You know, it's just the idea that, you know, one part of it is that he's God and we're not. And that's an important part of it. But that's not the whole purpose of what he's speaking about here. The purpose of what he's speaking about here is to kind of display how much he really loves us. How much he really cares for us. Let me ask you a question. Does God show favoritism? How many people believe God shows favoritism? How many don't? Tell me why you don't. Throw up the next slide. Let's look at Isaiah 43, 1 through 7. Keep on going. It's farther. 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 Okay. Why don't you read this one? But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now, what do we do with that? I want you to consider something. I used to thoroughly believe that God showed favoritism to me. And I got talked out of that at a previous church. And that was the most costly thing I think I've ever been talked out of in my life. 
And I've really come to the conclusion, I really personally believe that God does show favoritism. Now, there's a couple scriptures in the Bible that says he doesn't show favoritism. But both of those are dealing with believers and unbelievers and Jews and Gentiles. And he says, I, there's, I don't show favoritism, Jew, over the Gentile. He just says it's first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. It's a matter of order and stuff. But he says there's no favoritism. That's actually Peter, I think, was saying it. Now I see that there's, God shows no favoritism. But is there favoritism? I think there's favoritism for those who are called according to his purpose. Otherwise, what would you do with Jacob and Esau? You know, what, what do you do with that? Did he show favoritism there? Yeah. It's a hard one. And I, I, I can't tell you that that's just the fact. Go ahead. Not everyone responds. And what the scripture does says, you know, there's a, I think it's in this one, that there's a pot for noble use and not for not. And the one that's are, are not. But if the, the pot or the utensil, and one scripture says, cleans itself up, it will be used for the noble purposes. So I, I, I believe it's hard is that everyone will be saved. But is there favoritism? I think there really is when it comes to it. I, I think that, I think more than anything, that it's important to understand it. If you look at what, what, what the, uh, the idea of this election, you can look at the negative side of it and say, well, this is fair or not fair. You know, okay, God has the right. But you're here today because God called you. I like to look at it on the other side. How much God loved you to have you and call you. How much he's willing to. And I have no question on my mind. I remember a friend of mine. Tim Bentz, when he, a real strong prophetic guy, and he came, comes from Oklahoma, he's been here, and, uh, and he was up on, uh, was supposed to go to San Francisco, first visit to California, and he goes up on Mount Diablo, Hill of the Devil, uh, it's a surveying point for all of California, and you know, and God really says, your heart's not right. You know, trying to do it in his accent, <laughs> your heart's not right. Well, what do you mean? And he pointed out to San Francisco, and I said, I love those people. Now, he came with a lot of prejudice because of the sin that's in the city. And there is a lot of sin in that city. It's filled with it. But he loves that people. So he loves the people so very, very much. But he's willing to give up some. I'm not saying San Francisco because I don't mean that. But he's willing to give up people that he actually loves, that are children of his too, for his chosen. For the people he's purposed to know him. There is that, if you please him. Go ahead. I don't know exactly what God thinks. I don't know, but I think he shows favoritism on an individual basis and not favoritism to people. I think he does it probably because he chooses. And we'll never understand what he thinks or how he thinks. But if it's evident he is favorable to some, not to others. Yeah. On the basis of that. He does show favoritism. And he does favor people and give people. There's that scripture that says, I will show mercy upon them, I will show mercy. Right. Yeah. I mean. It, that's, I mean, that's what's earlier on in Romans here. And that idea that it's, he is God, that's why it makes his point. He can do whatever he wants. He has the right to do whatever he wants. This is a hard scripture. This scripture here really makes it pretty clear that he does. I love you. I will give up men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I am willing. I, I'm, I will bring your children from the east and gather them from the west. 
I will give up people in exchange for your life. Bye, guys. they got a meeting to go to. God is willing to do that. That is hard. And I, I want to struggle with this one. I don't want it to be easy. You know, I, I don't really know the full answer of the same. I do believe he shows favoritism, though. It really comes down to it. You know what? And I remember that scripture says he'll deal with you the way you see things. So I'm going to choose to believe that God has favoritism for me. I just think that's a smart thing to do. Go ahead. They look like they didn't do too well. <laughs> they gave up exchange for their lives. In other words, he allowed them to die. Well, and let's, let's talk about going in the promised land. What did he do to those people in the promised land? Now, yeah, it's true that they did some wrong things, and, and, and God used Israel to punish them. But what about Jacob and Esau? Now, we know what he did later, but right here he says, you know, to make his election and the, and the clarity of his purpose known, I love Jacob and he hate Esau. You know, uh, or what was the other uh, scripture that I was trying to think of? Oh, something else I want to, before we leave this idea in this, <clears throat> I want you to notice. First of all, that I've redeemed you, I've summoned you by name, you are mine. We belong to him, okay? When you, not if, when you pass through waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When you, we are called to go through those things. And there's a purpose for those things. And there's a purpose for those things we sometimes really don't see immediately. But there's a purpose for those. But we will go through those fires. And there's another scripture that says, he, uh, those he loves, he disciplines. Discipline, again, is the idea of growing up, not punishment. The idea, New Testament idea is very clear in the scriptures, that it's always about training and maturing, not about punishment for doing. Punishment's taken care of. Go ahead. Look at all those people who died in the desert because of their unbelief, you know, from 20 years old and, and, and up and up. And, and God allowed all those people to die because of their unbelief and they perished. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the younger generation that was under 20 years old that's an interesting thought. Now, now that's a little bit different than the favor. That was you could argue on that side that it was because of what they did or didn't do yeah, on belief. Yeah, right. But, but I like where you're going with that. Why do you think, guys? Why do you think that uh, they uh, died there? Why do you think that the God didn't allow them to enter? You ever thought about it? I think you wanted to establish a DNA of people with faith. Yeah, you've been listening to me, though. Oh, oh yes, you have. Yeah. Okay, okay, all right. They all believe you, honey. <laughs> but it is good. That is true. The two are one. Yes, there it is. Karen, you wrote the notes. I had to write some for me the other day that I haven't used yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to see how that, that's going to be. Right. That's where you were going, huh? 
That's right. That's where I'm going. Now, well, let me, let, me, let me back up a few steps, okay? Now, before that scenario took place, where were they at? Egypt, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And they were in Egypt for what? Sinning, right? They were enslaved. They're, God allowed them to be enslaved. Now, what does Egypt mean? It means the system of the world. It means slavery. You know, and, and that nation was totally enslaved, totally lost all their rights, uh, all their hopes, and everything else. They were totally destroyed. Do we see a period of time like we're in now that could be looked at that way? Have we been enslaved? Are we, were we stuck with our work where we have to work to just, just to make it? Are we stuck in a place that, that, that we, we have in a place where we have a hard time finding hope? Are we in that place right now? Are we coming out of that place? I believe we're starting to come out of that place. I think that our nation as a whole has just been enslaved, and he's calling the people out. Remember last week we talked about Exodus, and in Exodus, when the first thing that God had Moses do when he brought him out of Egypt was to take him out in the desert, about I think it was three days out or four days out or something like that, and tell them to wash their clothes and sanctify them, set them apart, and, and the point I made to you last week on that, if you remember, is it was one thing to get the Israelites out of Egypt. It was another thing to get Egypt out of the Israelites. That's the same thing we face today. Now, you look at that scripture you're talking about. Here they are. A lot of people didn't go in. Why? In, in that particular scripture, it says because of their unbelief and their sinning in the desert. The whole time, God tested them in the desert. A three-day or four-day journey it could have been made in. It took him 40 years because he had to wait for a whole generation to die out. So what was he doing? He's purifying. Now, let's say Egypt's here, coming through the desert to what? The promised land, right? We have a promised land that's set before us that God's called us all into. It's a promise of rest. And the promised land was a land of milk and honey. Everything would be sweet, everything would be good, everything would be powerful. A great blessing set ahead. Now, that's all God told them about the land. Then they went out there and said, well, before we stick our foot in that water, we're going to check it out a little bit. So they sent some, they sent some uh, spies in there when they came back. Oh, my God, these are big giants. Big giants. Now, most of that nation, as you know, and that was the scripture we're talking about, they were afraid and didn't believe God, and therefore they died in the desert. Because God would not take an unbelieving generation in? Mm, yeah. But the main reason is, if you notice, in the promised land, there were giants. Though it was great blessing, it was equally great trial to receive that great blessing. It was an equal type of thing. If a people did not have the heart to believe God, they could not enter and take the land. So I put it to you that that whole purpose of that thing in the desert was, as one said, cleansing. Because he had to have a level of purity, just like when he brought it out three days out to get uh, Egypt out of, out of them. To have to have that stuff out to be able to take the land and get the promise. Follow me so far? Now, what is that promise now? Hebrews says, I think I have that scripture because I was going to talk about it later. Flip the next. Oh, here it is right here. Why don't you read this one? 
See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to to the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Okay, now I put to you this. They were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Because it takes a level of faith to take the giants. Now we saw it with, uh, 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 with uh, Goliath and David. The rest of Israel scared to death and wouldn't fight this man. But one untrained shepherd did. I mean, these guys were like eight, nine, ten feet tall. You know, children in Nephilim. You know, they were huge. Not like a seven-foot giant here. And by the way, I have a friend that's been there, and they've seen those bones, where a thigh bone goes up to about right here on it. Huge. Big, big deal. Matter of fact, there are a lot of them. They say all over Israel, but for political reasons, they don't bring them out. So, you had these giants and these big things. And that's what's before us as a people. We, I, I would lay three things on it. One, everybody thinks the kingdom of heaven is just such an easy thing to fall into. You know, I, I forget, I actually have to be the last day of the, of the, of the, uh, get saved at the last second, like some of us have. And my, you know, my dad kind of did the same thing. Then it might be easy. But the rest of us that had the labor all day, we find it a little bit different. Heaven may be a little harder than we think. It's done by Christ. But there's a battle to take it. Just as there's a battle to take the promises of God. What is the thing of rest that Hebrews talks about? Hebrews talks about the rest as being able to rest from their, their works. And it, and it likens it to, as God did on the seventh day, rested from all of what he created. And yet maintained all that he created. It is a place of causing and growing and, 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 and things to bless, be blessed without the striving of oneself. Also, I might say to you that promised land may be Santa Monica. This is a, one of the richest places in the world, spiritually. I mean, why do you think all the uh, uh, cults of the world are here? There are, there's lands that have more of a spiritual presence than others. This is one of them. It's a great blessing here. But great big giants. To take this type of land, we have to be a people that truly knows how to believe God. And and, and believes that, one, he favors us over the people. Whatever we have to do. Because, you know, when when Israel took the promised land, they went in there. And they took it area by area by area by area until they took the whole thing. They didn't take it all at once. And the scripture says because if I took it all at once, then the place would become desolate because they didn't have the people to populate it. So they took it step by step by step. They took it and they took that whole land. But it was a fight all the way. Now, I believe that God is telling us here how favored we are, 
how much he loves us, uh, his purposes for us, uh, how blessed we are. That we would know who we are and believe how much he loves us so we would have the faith to take the land. We have to have that level of faith to take the land. It's impossible to do it any other way. If we don't really, really believe God to do those things, we can't. Now, earlier in Romans, and actually I, I used the, uh, Galatians, I said, okay, here's the rearview mirror. In our rearview mirror, we look back at what's, what's behind us, what we've done, what we say, how we act. The Bible calls that the fruit. There's one type of fruit, if we look back and it's destruction, uh, uh, anger, all those other things. And I must tell you, I've been extremely convicted teaching this stuff. Extremely. You know, God's really dealing with me on some of those very areas myself. Then I would say that I'm running my life or the enemy's running my life, but it certainly isn't God. If I look back and I see in my rearview mirror, fruit, love, peace, joy, long-suffering, then I know God's in there. And we said that that purpose of that scripture is not to condemn us, because that's what Romans says, there's no condemnation, is to show us who's sitting on the throne in our life, who's center of our life. Is it really God, are we God-centered or self-centered? The tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Tree of life, God, God-centered, tree of knowledge of good and evil, self-centered. Which is there? Now, when they went to the end of the promised land, they did a different thing as well. God said to him, let's see, I have, I'll flip over to the next, to, uh, Deuteronomy, it's not, it's not in here. Close out of this one and go to Deuteronomy. Uh, let me see where it is. Unfortunately, I lost all my notes this morning from today, except the PowerPoints, and not even the PowerPoints that I really want. Let's see. Uh, okay, so we go to Deuteronomy what? Uh, let's see. Deuteronomy, no, eleven twenty-two. Now this is again just before they're to go into the promised land. So you're the background on this. If you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to hold fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess nations larger and stronger than you every place where you set your foot will be yours your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Euphrates River to the western sea no man will be able to stand against you the Lord your God as he promised you will put the terror and fear of you on the whole land wherever you go okay now a couple things that really stand out if you Obey him, obey his ways, and love him. There's a blessing that goes with that. Now, when I first moved from Orange County to here, God gave me Deuteronomy 28, and I'm going to touch on it a little bit today. Uh, but suffice to say, I was actually going to have, have it done, because when they went in there, uh, well, let me get to that in a second. Okay, so here we have, you're going to displace a nation stronger than you. But every place you set your foot is yours. What does that sound like? Favor. Favor, and it's also Genesis. Genesis talks about that very thing, that when he sent them out, 
It says, go take dominion. And the idea is, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're still supposed to do. We're sent out to do. We're sent out to take dominion. How do we take dominion? We'll learn about that a little bit more coming up. But dominion is that very same thing. Every place you step, your foot is yours. Nobody will be able to stand against you. And terror will be those when they really come up against you. Now, sometimes, you know, there are people that are terrible uh, people that make you afraid. And sometimes you run across people that when you're around them, they, they make you a little nervous because they have a little disanointing on it. So don't think that everything is the way it may seem to think. Let's go to the next scripture. Deuteronomy 28, the next slide. Now, no. Remember you just said something about the demons on people's backs and stuff, you know, that they can confront, you know, on the streets in time. Mm-hmm. Where the, dev- the, the, the bells um, chase away the, the demons. That's what I, I heard. Who knows? I'll tell you, sound has a lot more than we understand, that's for sure. There's sounds that bring blessing and sounds that bring destruction. And there are sounds that does frighten the enemy. What I'm going to talk about next week is there's, there's two mountains. And it, it, when I moved out here, you know, God gave me this Deuteronomy 28. And it, it basically says that if you fully listen to him and obey him and love him and follow his ways, there'll be a blessing in your coming and your going, blessing the city and the country, blessing, blessing, blessing. And I, I was going to actually do it because what they originally did when they read this is there was two mountains. And these two mountains, there's a valley in between. This is probably the biggest prophetic act ever done. God had Moses put half of Israel on one mountain, 650,000, and half on the other mountain, another 650,000. And he had them do a prophetic act. They read the blessings from one, and the priests were in the middle, and the other side read the curses. And I thought that would be kind of a fun activity for us to do, a kind of prophetic act that stick in your mind. Until I look, took a real good look at it, I put it out on slides, and there was three, three pages of PowerPoint for the blessings, and there was 13 for the cursing. Thirteen. Fearsome thing to fall in the hands of the living God, I would say. Thirteen. And let me tell you what, such things that scare you to death. I mean, go read Deuteronomy 28. I don't want to go through it. It'll, it'll scare the pants off you. I mean, all the way to parents eating their children, eating their children. Horrible cursing. Heck of a blessing. I think Israel's fallen some of that cursing stuff over the years. It's amazing. It's amazing to think. But the blessing is blessing everything that you do. The cursing the other. Why? You know, with the two mountains, it's a lot of scholars actually believe, and I'll probably just finish this thing here rather than next week. A lot of the scholars believe that one the mountain where they read the blessings off is the very mountain that uh, uh, that Isaac was offered on the altar, and 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 it was and, and and if that's true, it really means quite an interesting thing, because that would mean that that place of blessing. Just like Isaiah 43, when you go through the rivers and stuff like that, is a place of sacrifice. If that's true, that means it's a place that you're going to lay 
all the things. Now, remember what Isaac was. was the promise from God. It was the very thing that God said he's going to give him, and he has to give it up. The very thing that God said that I want to, you know, I'm going to give you, he had to offer it up. And that would mean that in the process of that blessing that God's going to call us to give up things that we think are dear and close to our heart and things that he's actually given us, him given us. And he did an interesting thing. Because you're willing to do this, I'm going to bless you as if you did. And he told him not, not to kill him. Thank goodness. There's something else that, that on, on that particular mountain that it said that, that uh, uh, Abraham looked far off and saw the temple that hadn't been built yet. And so there's a place of, of vision and revelation found on that hill. Vision and revelation are found on that hill, as well as testing and sacrifice. Below that hill, right underneath the cliffs, is Jacob's well. That's the, and also, also, besides being Jacob's well, that's the place that he talked to the uh, uh, Sumerian woman, Jesus did. It was very, very close where Melchizedek uh, greeted Abraham and he gave him a tithe. It is a very significant place. So <coughs> he said, before you can enter this, I want you to know that you have to fully obey me to be able to enter. I.e. the desert would happen. I.e. everything. You have to fully obey me. To be able to take the land that belongs to the big, tall, strong man, you have to fully believe. Now, how did David take the strong man? He had faith and believed when there was no way to believe, just as Abraham believed when there was no reason to believe. And he was able to conquer those things. That's what we have to do. And that's what we're called to do. And that's the blessing that's on our life. We have those things. And we have the ability to be able to take those things if we step into it. So those two mountains are ahead of us. You read Deuteronomy 28. You look at that and you're just going to... I mean, I remember when I first got showed this. He says, I, this is for going... Well, the first time he showed it to me. But he says, this... Is it for going into this area? I'm looking at it and I go, wow, 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 oh crud, oh crud. And just kept on going and going and going. Fearful thing to fall in the hand of living God. He's not playing around, but it's not just for this reason or that reason or vanity. It's for the purpose of conquering darkness. We go up against a stronghold that is so strong that you have to be so prepared and so cleansed and so devoted to God to take. God's calling us to do that. I had my notes, I would tell you. I can tell you next week, huh? Neither one. That's also close to it, huh? Go about, uh, who's got a Bible in front of him? Uh, let me see. No, no, it's Deuteronomy. <laughs> I know. I'm, I yeah, it 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 is is it is defined differently. Yeah. Uh, and let's see here. Deuteronomy. Uh, try. No. And E L. Yeah. 
Ebel is the one that he had the curses on. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, that's about what it was. I don't know where that slide went. I had that slide, too. Had. I sure wouldn't like to have been on that, but you know. Huh? I didn't know how it's pronounced. You know, I've read for like 35, 37 years of scriptures, and I always skipped over those words. I, did, I said, Mela, forget it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Alrighty, what I want you to do is. Pick a partner, and I want you to pray a blessing over him. Okay, I'm going to stick up this, uh, stick up the slide on blessing. Okay, uh, and just let's, re- let's read through these three slides, and then what I want you guys to do. Now I know you'll pay attention. Uh, I want you to. You don't have to use those, but I want you that when we're done, I'm going to have you turn to a person next to you uh, and pray a blessing over them, the favor of one of these obeying. Blessing. We'll skip the non-blame, obeying ones. Okay, so go ahead and read that, would you? If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock. The calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Shift. Next. There's three of them. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, and as he promised you on on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season, and to bless bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. 